You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Break it down, Dada. Break it down, oh, break it down. 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 Let's make harder. Yeah. Hey. Welcome, Downers. Uh, YouTube, Amazon, website, iTunes. Those are the things that I've got going. Those are the things I want you to pay attention to. Let me tell you what each one is. I know you hear podcasters always pushing stuff, but that's kind of the point of podcasts. That's kind of how it works. We make this free show, and there's just a few things I'm asking for you to check out or do or consider Really, what I'm trying to do right now is grow my YouTube channel. Since this is season four, I'm doing it on video. I want to be one of those YouTubers that makes a million dollars. So I've got 20 subscribers right now because I just started the channel. So get in early on this thing. Uh, go to my website, breakitdownpod.com, and then there's a YouTube link, iTunes link, everything else there. And I have a link to amazon.com. So if you ever shop, on Amazon, that's all I'm asking you to do is click through my link, bookmark it, and do your shopping there, and they'll give me 4% of whatever you spend, and I will appreciate it, and it will add up. All right, so I've got Silverstein on the show today. More specifically, Shane Told, lead singer, and Billy Hamilton, bass player. Now, Shane has a podcast called Lead Singer Syndrome, which is great. It's on the Jabberjaw Network. Check that out as well. All right, Shane, Billy, you guys there? You all ready to do it? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for joining me. Y'all are home in Toronto, huh? I mean, eh? Yeah, we are. Yes, we are. Very good. Our respective individual homes, kind of homes. <laughs> so it's uh, it's great. Yeah, I know where you have a little time off. And next week, we're heading over to uh, China and Japan. I saw that. How many times have y'all been to Asia? Oof. We've been to it's Japan a, a lot of times. Uh, Southeast six, Asia six, a lot. Six times, maybe, yeah. That's incredible. First time in China. So that will be, we don't know what to expect. I, I have no idea what to expect. That's incredible. Japan's one of the territories that we've never been. Emory's never been to Japan. Uh, wow. And I don't know why. I mean, I figure maybe they just didn't like the kind of music that we play. But since now I know they do like your music, that's the kind of music we play. So it doesn't make <laughs> sense. Why hadn't we been? I don't know, man. <laughs> you that's have to put like, in a word for Emory when you get over there. I thought like tooth, some tooth and nail bands like went over there and did pretty well, you know, like... Yeah, they have. I think there's been a lot that has. I don't know what it is. We go to we go a lot of places, Australia, Mexico, a lot in those places. But just hadn't been to Japan. Is it fun over there? Do they do you enjoy the, that? Uh, out of when you go international places, how does how does Japan rank? I've always wanted to know. Japan's amazing. Like I, I think as far as like a culture and like the country goes, like, we have so much fun while we're there. Like I think that the shows are so unique compared to other Silverstein shows. Like the fans are so like respectful. Respectful. Like, well, what does that mean? Just yeah. quiet? Like they're yeah, just very, just like, yeah. they don't grab at you and yell or what do they, what do they do? Yeah. Like between songs, it's like, everyone's just so chill. And, like, <laughs> quiet, it's so and, like, quiet. It's kind of like scary quiet in between songs. Well, how is right. that good though? Cause don't you want the crowd to go crazy? 
I mean, yeah, when you they, talk about a show being awesome, you're like, the kids went insane. Right. And if they all stand there like this, then you don't you don't normally say it's a good show. You can tell though that they're engaged. Like they really pay uh-huh. attention and they really like doing actions. If you ever want to like get them to do like a, you know, uh-huh. they're, hey, ho, let's they're go, really, you know, yeah, like embrace <laughs> the actions. But we went there one time. A lot of people don't know this. We toured there with Avril Lavigne. Whoa. Which was, yeah, super, super weird. And, um, you know, we're kind of ele- out of our element, you know, being a, a heavy band, uh, you know. But, I mean, it was crazy. We played, like, the Tokyo Dome and stuff, what? like like 35,000 people. It was insane. But but what, what we did is the first... Um, was the that first the first time you went was with Avril Lavigne? No, no. That would, no. Uh, we'd been a few times before, but it was definitely the craziest time. And we, we um, it was cool because, you know, we started the tour and we really weren't sure what to do, like, with our set. So we kind of started playing the, you know, the more softer songs, you know, with our band. Yeah. Like, we have everything from, like, pretty much pop punk to, like, metal, you know, right. or somewhere in the middle. So playing the more softer stuff, the more pop punk stuff. And it went, it went fine. And then um, one day we just decided, like, yeah, fuck it. Let's just play like a heavy set, mm-hmm. and we did, and it went way better. It was insane, yeah. And one thing I remember is like the first time I would scream in the set. Most of those people, I don't think they'd ever heard that before. Yeah, or seen it live at least for sure. Uh, yeah, and at first, you know, in the first times, I think they were very confused and didn't understand it. But by the end of the set, I would, you know, I do my singing parts like la 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 la. Then I would just go. Ah, and I would scream, and they would all just cheer, <laughs> just just for and the spectacle of it. Just because I did it, yeah. they would just I would cheer, and they would just cheer. It was the most weird thing ever. But like you talk about a a fu- like I think when Bill's talking about that experience of you know live mm-hmm. being different in Japan, I think he kind of remembers that. Is that accurate, Bill? For sure, and I think too that um, that also in the. Like when the the sh- the show would finish, they'd have us almost like do like a meet and greet, mm-hmm. where we would be like we'd be waiting at the merch table, like kind of set up to meet everyone, like as they're leaving, like you know, ten or fifteen thousand people like leaving the show, and as they're walking at the door, we're just like sitting there being these like you know North American yeah. guys, and it was like Beatlemania or something, like it was <laughs> just like people would just like run to us. Like we were the coolest, like yeah, that's awesome. Because that was the opportunity to like meet, and it was it was literally that. I think that's the most uh, crazy that uh, any kind of fan. Sure. Well, international is always that way. Yeah. International is like a, if they'll they, they maybe sometimes when there's a language barrier, they do more physical stuff like try to grab you or something. Like right, when we're right. if we're in Brazil or Mexico, people. I mean, that it's that that thing yeah, like you like say, big man and stuff. Yeah, 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 they act a different way or something. It's, but when you say that, Shane, about them not seeing screaming, that's real interesting because if you were going to encounter, I mean, encountering heavy music live is the best way. So you can, I mean, right. it's so easy to have maybe if you're an Avril Lavigne fan or if you just think back to before you listened to heavy music, you may have encountered it or heard it and you didn't get it. But when you see that energy live and you see somebody scream, you thought you didn't like screaming and then you understand the energy of it in context of the live show, That what what a good way to get into it. So that's probably yeah, part of the effect. Something about seeing someone scream and seeing the emotion that yeah. they're putting into it and that's that primal like aggression and yeah. frustration they're letting out that you understand why they're screaming yeah. more so than when you just hear it on a recording and you're yes. like, Phil Anselmo kind of sounds like an idiot, you know? Yeah. Like, 
definitely. You know, that there's, there's a big difference, and you're, you're absolutely you're absolutely right. Like, if you think about it in some respect, if you listen to Metallica's Black Album or Pantera, like you said, it just doesn't, if you, didn't, if you don't have the context for it, it, it almost doesn't sound, it, you could listen to it in a way where you could argue that it was thin and not dynamic, and, sure, yeah, and, yeah. And, and it just didn't, it doesn't have life to it, unless you understand the context of what the kick drum is doing, what the bass, you know, what the bass is, and what those vocals are. If you don't really have that, picture in your head of what that music's supposed to be it can sound like this just distorted little thin fuzz of on yeah. the vo- vocals and all the instruments my grandpa when he first heard me play guitar he, he flagged me down and said stop 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 he said son i think your speaker's broken there because his <laughs> yeah. buzzing is broken this you something's wrong with your guitar you know it just sounds like a messed up thing to him and, and screaming is like the distortion of the voice kind well, of thing. It and it just it right? sounds like it's broken you know it sounds the like first, it's the wrong like, idea the yeah first, like people cutting speakers right, right? Cutting yeah. speakers like da na 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 da na 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 na. Right. It's like uh, cutting the speaker, you know, like yeah. yeah. And but if you hear it, if you listen to something and it gets louder and louder, and then it starts to distort, or you see somebody scream and you see where it's coming from, totally different well, ballgame. You know, they they say that the origins of that of screaming really came from the Beatles in, um, uh, you know, what's that song? Uh, they did it earlier in their career, like as a cover song. Uh, shake it, twist and shout. Oh right, twist yeah. and shout. Yeah, and, uh, John Lennon, his voice was just fucked up that day. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd been out like partying or whatever. Or they'd been playing other shows because you know, he'd do all these shows in like in it one day, and that's why he's like he's kind of screaming in that song. And so many people ended up emulating that sound from hearing sure. him sing like that. And he always hated that recording. Mm-hmm. He thought he sounded terrible. It's the weirdest thing. And they and they also have the thing where they played it. Wrigley Field or Yankee Stadium, and the, the you know the PA not even being big enough to play the venues yeah, they yeah. were playing, and yeah. that Shea kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It was a yeah. Shea Stadium. There you go. Yeah, it's wild. That's, that's weird to think about that it evolves that way. But and then there's the the difference, and you know, I mean, I guess everybody can do a little if you push it hard. Then it starts to become screaming, and now you have these all these art forms of everything in between, like the way Dave Grohl does or Rise Against does. Sure, yeah, you know, yeah. where it's totally singing. It totally is singing, but it's it's all got that scream wrapped up into it as well. But I think of Silverstein as uh, uh, all right. I'm gonna make another guitar amp and singing analogy. So you know how a lot of people will play like a Vox AC30 or something, and so they can play it, and it's kind of clean. If they play hard, it kind of distorts kind of thing so that'd be like the way that dave grohl or something does but i grew up with uh nirvana so it smells like teen spirit it's clean clanky and then you step on the distortion yeah. pedal and it's a completely yeah, different yeah, ball game yeah. and that's what shane does too shane is singing like you just said it's la 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 real real pretty and then you flip the switch it's like hitting the stomp box and going to the absolutely. dual rectifier absolutely that's that's like and you know it's funny because when we first started when we first did the first album when Broken is Easily Fixed, the um, producer was always trying to get me to do like a yelling thing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really have that setting. Like I had, I kind of had one or I had 10. Yeah, you exactly. Know? I sang or I screamed and, and trying, to, trying to do the in-between thing, you know? So I remember one time uh, the producer kind of trying to explain to me like, oh, you know, just give her like, you know, try to do that. And I couldn't. And Neil actually said, you just got to turn the gain up, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. Turn the gain up. And that's like, you know, literally something that I think I never really did until maybe the last two records when I sort of started experimenting a little bit more with kind of a pitched scream mm-hmm. or like sure, more of yeah, a yeah. screaming singing. So it's actually only in the last, I'm going to say last like three years really that I've started 
uh, finding that part of my voice, you know? So yeah. I, I think you really started doing that. Like when we did the, when we did the like short songs, like punk cover record, like Shane was like experimenting more with like, Oh, how am I going to like sing these songs? Cause I don't want to just like brutally like metal guy, like scream this the whole way through. And like, I don't want to like sing it all the way through. So how do I find that spot? You know? Yeah, you're right. Uh, and I think that's where he really found his, his middle ground. Well, if we stay on distortion just for a second there, Bill, what's your philosophy on distorted bass? I, I think oh, that God. I have... Go. Yeah, right? <laughs> the bass players love a question like that. So it's all about I'm, bass. Distorted bass, yes or no, and why? I'm a, I'm a pretty big... Like, I'm pretty big into distorted bass, like, mm-hmm. and I, I think that, like, you know, guitar players don't like it, singers don't like it. <laughs> uh, but I like the idea of, like, having a little bit of, a little bit of, uh, like, a like a, a overdrive kind of mm-hmm. going all the time. Cause I think that, uh, just like clean bass sounds, sounds lame, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> does but, the whole uh, thing just become a competition? We're going to have to distort the drums more soon too, then, right? Sure. Just the next just step. Getting, like, I feel like I'm just getting email. I got to close some programs here. I'm just getting like email sounds coming up. I'm That's getting, all right. people will forgive you. No, yeah. but, but it is interesting though. Like, like Bill has this, like just the, all these pedals, like, He's always messing around with his game, like, all the time. And, like, I guess from a traditional offense, Bill, but from, like, a traditional <laughs> music yeah. thing, I'm like, do we really need that? Can't we just have clean bass and, like, you know, yeah. just yeah. the guitars? But I think where I, think where I originally, really cool. where I originally got that was, like, probably when we recorded Discovering the Waterfront, working with Cameron Webb as a producer, he had just done the Motorhead record. And he was like, yeah, like, with Lemmy, like, and I look, think about Lemmy as a guy that's like always distorted bass, mm-hmm. but he was like, we recorded like three or four amps and we just ran it all. And we had like a clean one. We had a like really, really distorted one. Like, I think it was like, we had a DI, we had a clean amp. We had like a really bassy, like subby yep. amp. And then the, for the like distortion, he's like, we found like an amp in the garbage. And we like plugged in like a combo amp and like cranked it to 10. And that was the like real crunchy distortion for the bass. And uh, he's like, and I just blended that. And then we did that on the, on that record and on, uh, on shipwreck and the sand as well. that Cameron recorded. I, I actually, we, we found an amp in the, in the garbage. Like, yeah, basically, you know, they have, um, I guess where we live, I don't know how it is everywhere else in the world, but like, a couple times a year, they have like big garbage night where you can put out like old furniture, you know, or like a refrigerator or like whatever you want to get rid of. You just put it out on the street. Yeah. And they come by and they take away all your like bigger garbage. So my dad was, was decided, you know, he likes to walk around the neighborhood on that day and see if he can get any like <laughs> old clubs clubs or like, you know, something like that or something he can fix. Um, so he found this little practice amp. And I don't know what brand it was, um, but, but my dad, it was kind of broken. And my dad took it and he fixed it and was like, hey, here's an amp. And I'm like, I don't really need a, like, I'm a professional musician, dad. I don't need an <laughs> eight-watt practice amp. Oh, we but, used it. <laughs> but I, we, we not only did, did, like, I end up plugging it in and being like, hey, it sounds pretty good. But, yeah, it ended up being, like, part of the bass tone on the Shipwreck and the Sand record. It was that amp yeah. we literally found on my, like, my dad's yeah. street. That's uh, that's weird. I always think on bass, I can't ever really beat a Sans amp. So I like a fuzzy thing 
two, but really just a gained Sansamp direct is is always almost my favorite thing. And I wonder if people realize yeah. how often that is the sound that they're hearing the on sound, records yeah. and live. I mean, people, you see the the bass amp's the biggest thing on stage. It's the heaviest, most frustrating annoying, thing, annoying loudest, thing to move. Yeah. Get a road case, <laughs> ampeg. Everybody wants an ampeg eight ten the second they get in yeah. a band, an SVT classic head or whatever. And yeah. there's always a little sans amp sitting on top of it, and that's the only thing that anybody ever really hears. I just think that's yeah. the most insane thing. It's this big, and that's all you almost ever use or hear. And then you have to carry a refrigerator and a you know anvil around to, just to just for the just for the stage sound essentially. You're not so, wrong, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a Dosakis bill? It's a Dosakis. I thought I saw the 2X on there. Yeah, I got a little line right here, yeah. And good Cheers. for you guys. I almost always drink when I do the podcast, but I'm uh, I'm, uh, I'm trying to keep my diet real clean. I got a baby coming in about a month, yeah. so and I know when that baby comes, I'm going to eat whatever convenient food there's going to be, so I'm, gonna try, I'm trying to keep it nice and trim for the last month going into that. So, hey, man, respect to you for that, yeah. Yeah, it'll be my second kid. Do y'all, none of y'all have any kids, and y'all, y'all no. are a little scarce as a band on relationships, if I'm not wrong. Uh, recently, yes. <laughs> so what? So so no kids at all, right? And so Paul's married. Paul's married, yeah. And Paul's married. And, Josh has a girlfriend mm-hmm. he lives with. Uh, and the other three of us are uh, single. Some of us more recently single than others. Mm-hmm. And I specifically. Both. I mean, so both of you are both recently single. Yeah. How long were you in a relationship? I talked to Shane about that that before, but uh, how long had you been in a relationship before, Bill? Coming up on four years. Man, I didn't know that. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, man. It's, you know, it's a bit of the, the rocky stage right now. Yeah. We just got back from tour in Australia and I'm um, trying to move out and find a place to live oh, and man. all this stuff. It's a tough, it's a tough gut, you well, know, like, but. Yeah, I'm not trying to get the scoop on that or get into it, but sure. I, we use this uh, podcast. I'm using this podcast to catch up with friends like you guys. So. Yeah, we're old, we're old buds here. Yeah, of course. Break uh, it down for us, Bill. Right. Break it down. So what was the main problem in your relationship, Bill? And then Shane, you're next. Let's, yeah, let's pass on that question. But <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Harder. Well, what I want to know, though, what I'm curious about is, do you think avoiding kids and marriages – has been a secret to you guys having seven or eight albums and being surviving as long as you have and doing as much as you do because it's unbelievably impressive how rock solid you guys are and and have been for, over the years. I don't know, Bill. Do you think about that much? I mean, I can say that like uh, like we haven't we just haven't let up, Matt. Like uh, we've known you since two thousand four or something, mm-hmm. and we've been touring those 12 years, like I would say 150 to 250 yeah. days a year. And like, I mean, we just haven't let up. And I think that, uh, you know, that the, it's, it's tough to, uh, it's, it's tough to say that like what would stand in the way of that or whatever. And like, I know a lot of our peers and bands have had kids and that's like, that's derailed the kind of touring thing. But like we just we've kept at it and like I, I I have to agree with you, you know, like if if like all of a sudden Josh had a kid, I'm sure he would say, I don't want to go on tour for 150 days a year. I'm sure it yeah. would happen. Yeah. And I'm sure that's happened with Emery and it's happened with other friends of ours under oath and, you know, other bands that are our peers, you know. 
Well, I mean, it, you know, everybody deals with it differently. I feel like we're lucky. Emory's lucky. We've found some really different ways to survive, and we don't do near as many shows as you guys. But we, when I think about our band as being something really rare as far as survival and length of life, especially in this genre and scene and stuff like that, but you guys even more so. And I just wonder, is it intentional? I mean, I know you don't make a pact, no kids or anything, oh, but, but does one sure, drive yeah, the other? Do they go hand in hand? I don't know. I, I think like... I don't think so. I mean, I know Paul doesn't want to have kids, you know, he's married and he's been married for Mm -hmm. quite a few years now. You know, they don't want to have kids and that's, that's fine, but that's, I don't think that's a choice based on the band or anything. Mm -hmm. I think that's just, you know, their, their personal choice, uh, for them. Uh, you know, personally, like I would love to have children someday, you know, like, uh, I, I, I'm definitely, that's something I would love to experience being a father, you know? Um, the fact, the reason it hasn't happened isn't because of the band, but maybe in some ways it's because of the band because mm-hmm. it's hard to go with relationships yeah. and stuff on tour, but it's not because I think the second I have a kid, there goes my career or right, anything right. like that. That's never right, been right. a thought in my mind. And, and I don't think it has been for any, the other guys either. I think it's just kind of the way it's shook out. And maybe in some ways we're lucky in, in that sense, but you know, to, to, to go the other way on this, like I had, you know, on my podcast, lead singer syndrome, there's a plug. Uh, I had Corey from Norma Jean just last week, and he, you know, he's been a he's he's 40 now. Mm-hmm. He's a 22 year old daughter. You know, so he's had kids his entire career. Has it slowed him down? No. Not at all. I mean, Norma Jean in their in their prime were like one of the hardest touring bands of any of us. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think there's definitely a way to do it. Um, you know, and and Norm, you know, and Corey still like he supports you know his family, and that's almost part of the drive of touring is to provide for your family. What do you think is uh, other than that then? But what, what else, what is it that, and don't give me some cheesy answer about the fans or something. Give me some inside information on how you can be a band this long and not break up. It just, it doesn't, it's not common. What, what it's else do you think is unique? I can make some suggestions, but what do you think it is? each other as, as band members. That's what it comes down to. Like, and not only as band, not, not like, and not even as musicians necessarily. Like it's just about personalities mm-hmm. and treating everybody respect respectfully and stuff. Like I think it goes a long way. Like when we're all on the same level in the band, and you know, like I don't always have a middle bunk every tour we do, even though I'm the fucking singer. You know, like <laughs> like you know, like, like I mean, I mean, those are like little stupid things, but but there's a certain level of like of keeping everybody on the same page and mm-hmm. and letting yeah. everybody have a say. Uh, in the things that we do, I think that that's important to keeping a band together. And, you know, I think one of the secrets that we don't really talk about in our band is the fact that we, we really are very diverse in the kind of music we play. You know what I mean? I think if we were just a metal band and we were playing just the heaviest shit we could, you know, 365 days a year, and that's all we wanted to do. I think somebody would be like, Hey, like, what about a clean part? You know, maybe I want to do something different. But the fact that within our music, we have everything from really heavy stuff to really melodic stuff to somewhere in between fast, slow, you know, I think that that diversity musically, none of us really ever get bored because Mm -hmm. the second you think, oh, the record's going to be like this. Well, there's always going to be that one song like on the last record, like late on sixth, you know, was a song that like it just was something different and refreshing for us that kept us all like really uh, into this project, you know, mm. 
into the band. I think it's probably a, a real big thing what you're saying there on respecting each other. And I think of it like this: like if egos get out of check, is is almost nothing you can do. And you and yeah. yeah, and there's something about you know having multiple people contribute. And there's something else about doing stuff. you I believe or I suspect that is. Uh, something about doing stuff yourself and having some business sense and running your band instead of having uh, the fans and the teams and the managers and the agents run your band. There's something about running your own shit that that you need each other and it's you, you guys are a team. And the more stuff you understand and the more you run your band uh, like CEOs and yeah, have sure. to work with each other, which is something I've seen with you guys that's notable too. That plays into that, that you guys have complementary skills and everybody's needed. It's not just the singer. It's not right. just that, you know. So for, when we first were touring with you guys in 2004, Paul was TMing, which I'm sure he's done a lot of over the years. I, I don't I imagine it doesn't always do that, but he it was so focused and, all, you know, just so into details and the business and getting all the stuff right. And that goes a long way, I, I really think. Yeah, nothing has, a, nothing has changed all the years. Savior. Like the, yeah. yeah, the guy does everything. Like he's such a hard worker for our band and he does so much and, and everything. He puts so much work into it and it goes so far. You and, know? It, like, and it's not insecure. Sometimes you get a guy who wants to run things or set, be, no, yeah. be the, for instance, you're not this, Bill, but the bass player who's trying to have an opinion just to have one. Or When you get in that situation or the guy's trying to tour manage out of insecurity for his position or to try to, no. or, he's, or he's, I mean, you could say it's a control freak thing, but it's a control freak, not him versus you, but for you guys. He's taking yeah, care sure, of you yeah, guys, yeah. and that was really clear, and I always I, thought that stood out. I remember something funny, Matt, from the old days just, just sparked my uh, interest is, so when, you know, when Silverstein started, and some people, if they read our, like, you know, our biography, they know we started as, like, a side project, right? So we were just playing in Josh's basement kind of for fun, but Paul, um, he was the, kind of the only one that didn't have another band, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, all the other, all, all the rest of us kind of had a band that was like our main band and Silverstein was more like our side project. So I'll never forget one time when Richard, who's our original guitar player said, have you seen this? I go, what? He goes, look at a uh, Silverstein emo.com. <laughs> and I was like, we have a website. <laughs> Paul had just built us a website. Like, he didn't tell us, he didn't talk about it. You know, we had a website and like, you have to understand this is like the year 2000, right? So like, that wasn't a thing. Like there was mm -hmm. no internet for bands really yet. Um, but, but like, even at that point totally. he had already like, he was already like a go-getter, like trying to figure out, you know, what to do, mm -hmm. you know? And then really from there, that was just it. Like he was the guy doing all the graphics and he was the guy, you know, Cause he had that skill and, and he was doing our t-shirts and he, you know, so he became the business person. And, um, I'd say like me and him, even from those days, like we've always been very, very close and very much on the same page when we talk about the direction of the band and we've had managers come and go at the moment. We don't even have a manager. Who cares? We don't need a manager. Like, like, you know, Paul basically is our manager and, and I, you know, mm -hmm. when he's having trouble figuring something out, he gives me a call and we figure it out together. And, you know, and then we obviously we loop in everybody on big decisions of like what we're going to do with our lives for months on end. Mm -hmm. We're going to do a tour or not. But the day to day stuff is Paul and it really has been Paul 
basically since that website mm-hmm. he built in the year 2000. Sure, well, the yeah. cool thing is to let somebody do what they want to do. So in, in my band, I do a ton of stuff similar to that. And Toby, Toby and I do most of the stuff in that same regard, but he'll leave me alone and I'll let me and just trust me. And then if it's some something that he's interested in or wants to do or has a strong opinion, I'll just say, go ahead. I mean, if you're into it, you, you do it. Instead of everybody, everything's not always a, a democracy vote where everybody has to fight. You don't have to do that. I mean, you can, and some for some bands that works, but I find that usually to be more of a strain than complementary specialized roles. So, uh, you know. Yeah, that's true too. It's, so, yeah, it's funny. We're saying, we're almost like, if people are listening to this, they're probably like almost confused because we're saying everyone has to have a say, but then we're saying like... In different areas. In, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. So it, it is, it is like, it is interesting, but I mean, I, I don't know. I always tell people too, and they ask like, what's your longevity? Why have you had so few member changes i say like i don't know this is the only band i've really ever been in like i you know i don't I think know something, how to operate i think something that we're like a bit a big point that we're all missing and like you know you said you didn't want the cheesy answer but it really like it always kind of comes to this is like touring is fun like <laughs> we have a lot of fun yeah. doing this and like shane's shane's kind of like go-to answer for this is like well we'll, we'll stop doing this when we stop having fun you know mm-hmm. but it really it's and i think it's yeah. so true, and it, and it's I think something that like really was maybe an eye opener like five years ago was like when we see all of our friends' bands breaking up, and it's like we kind of take a step back and be like, "Yo, is this still fun?" Mm-hmm. It's like how how do we make this fun again? And it's like, do we have to start booking tours in like weird countries where we're having a new experience mm-hmm. or what, you know what I mean? Where we get to like go in and do something for the first time. Is it like uh, a matter of like, we got to add, you know, Hey, we go to Hawaii and we get to add a couple days vacation there, you know, yeah, we played uh, with you there in pipeline. We, at, at least we did. Yeah. So that's yeah. a really bill so answer thing, like, to how give. Do how do you like, yeah. And it's like, how do you make like the day to day, like stop feeling like work and mm-hmm. like, how's it going to be like, what, what do I got to do in, in this city? That's going to make me like, uh, experience this in a different way than like just another venue, another dressing room, another set of a couple hundred totally. fans, you know? Well, that's a real bill answer to give. And cause I'm going to tell people out there if they don't know what your specialty is and your specialty is fun, friendliness, hanging out with other people and ambassador. Yeah. That's your role. And a lot yeah. of bands have that. We've got one in our band. His name's Josh Head. He's the ambassador. Yeah. He's the first one. Second our bus pulls up to, on a new tour somewhere, he's gone. He's gone. He's right. We're, we're going to sit yeah. on the bus and we'll warm up yep. everybody. It'll take a few days. Josh is gone. He'll be riding with somebody else two days from yeah, the no third day Matt, of tour. You no know offense, Matt. You know I love you. You know we work together, but I got to say, Josh probably my favorite member of uh, he's everybody's favorite member josh is my guy like i want to say i gotta say josh is my favorite member of any band we've ever seen ever like josh yeah, is the actually guy, though like, he's so great I, I i take a lot of credit for sending that ambassador out there i mean that's his role it's, it's all strategic <laughs> let guy, him be yeah. the hero that's great but right. billy you're like that i mean when, when we first toured together you were i mean y'all did have a van breakdown but i don't think it was just that the reason you hung around us so much and rode with us yeah. on tour the yeah. first whole tour i think you still did after your van was fixed too <laughs> yeah stupid bill wake up stupid bill for cracker barrel <laughs> well, you're gonna have to tell that story don't you had to give him a little context on it. i know you always bring it up for 10 years that i called you stupid bill but what's the story there <laughs> <laughs> so when i was riding with emory on that first tour uh yeah well what happened with the van breaks down 
we all decided to, you know, split up into ride with the other bands. And Matt uh, is the dad of Emery. And uh, I start riding with Emery, and I, I ended up kind of, sl- I'm a sleepy guy. I'm sleeping all the time, right? <laughs> so I'm, I'm sleeping in the back of the van, and it's just every day was like we stop at Cracker Barrel with a bunch of the, the good old Southern boys <laughs> from Emery. <laughs> And it was like, oh, someone's got to wake up, stupid Bill. <laughs> and you overheard. But see, I was just, I said that endearingly. I mean, you, I must funny. not have known you well yeah. enough, for, but I was just calling you stupid Bill because you're my friend. Somebody wake up, stupid Bill. We got to lock the van and get out of here and go. <laughs> and you got up, you were just like, stupid Bill. But yeah. Bill, I got to go with that. So but I, I wouldn't have said that, that if I didn't think we were already tight. So I, if I hadn't apologized before, let me I apologize now for that. Oh, no, Matt, you, this is, I'm, I've held on to this as a way of, <laughs> I've, I've seen the endearment in it. Is that uh, we've we've stayed friends for twelve years, even though you called me stupid Bill. You know. <laughs> I wonder how many shows. Two questions. I wonder how many shows we've done together. I bet we could do quick math on it. And then, how many shows do, do you it. think you've played? Do you have any idea on that oh, number? Yeah, actually, coming up almost 2000, exactly how yeah. many. Really? Tell me. Yeah, it's like two thousand next week. Really? Kyoto, Kyoto, Japan's our two thousand show. Wow. I've always suspected we've done over a thousand, but uh, I don't have any way to prove that. But you saying you know you're at two thousand makes me sure that we're over a thousand. So that's good. Yeah, I'm sure we're thousand drummer, something. Because of our drummer Paul's meticulous uh, attention to detail, uh, we have every show documented, like in a yeah. spreadsheet, basically. So we know we kind of we could tell you every show we ever played. Probably what you did in merch I too. Went no, I went through that. <laughs> Uh, I went through that spreadsheet like last year with like a fine tooth comb. We made we did that discovering the waterfront anniversary tour, and we made uh, posters for like every city with like, hey, like Seattle, Washington. We played like this, you know. We played at Numos, and we played at Graceland, and then it changed its name to mm-hmm. whatever it's called now. And El Corazon, you know, El Corazon, yeah. And we play, and I had every show, and I like went through the list, and you know said, oh, wait, that show got moved to a different venue or that show got canceled or, like, I took the master list and I really ran through it with a fine-tooth comb and uh, and it's a lot, like, there's a lot of shows and there's a lot of memory, like... That's incredible. It was a crazy thing to take on of just being like, oh, wait, yeah, that happened. Then we did that tour and, oh, my God, we played Chicago seven times that year or something, you know, like... Well, number 1,000, 1,000 was in Paris. I remember that yeah. was our 1,000th show. I think that was maybe in 2008, I want to say. Something like yeah, that. 15, now we have number 2,000. 1,500 was in, was in Stuttgart. Oh, really? I didn't know about 1,500. 1,500 was that festival we played. It was like Parkway Drive and like Hot Water Music and Alkaline Trio played the other day. Oh, we yeah, early. yeah. I that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really cool. I was thinking we've done more than 100 shows together because we've done a couple of tours and one tour and festivals. 100 would be fair, yeah. I I think 100 is definitely over-under. I mean, can you imagine even how much time that is? Like, that's just a lot. Try to do 100, have 100 poker nights with somebody. How good of friends would you be? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) That's a very funny way to put it, yeah. Yeah. We probably had a couple poker nights in there, too. uh, We've done poker for sure, yeah. The Emory Casino like bus. That was the best. Oh yeah, well, y'all had y'all came on when we were doing casino on the bus. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Sports, me, Billy, that's not casino. Good. Y'all are sports guys too, which is great. So, the, yeah, and, and I think that the older you get, the more likely you're going to be into sports because I think there's a thing that happens where 
you might even if you grew up with sports, you might reject it when you're 20 and get into guitar and grow your hair out. So I don't just pay attention to sports a little bit less. But then the longer the longer it goes, you come back to sports. And I, I almost feel like that happened to me. I've always was into sports, but the earliest times in the band when I was most focused on that, I was probably the least into sports. And I feel like every year I like sports and look forward to it more and more every single year. You know what I think it is, Matt. And I had this conversation with somebody. It's like when you're, you know, you get into sports usually when you're younger and then you get more getting into music when you're a little bit older. Mm-hmm. For us as like professional musicians, every single one of us, I don't care what band you're in, if you're successful, you worked at it. You know, mm-hmm. there was a point in time when you said, I have to do this. I have to do this better. I have to focus on it, whether it's your craft of music or whether it's just even the business side or whether it's like working to get a van to go on tour, whatever you had to do. And all of a sudden you had like sports or whatever interest you had. I don't care what the interest is. It took a backseat to music. Yeah. And what starts happening is after a while you're doing music, 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 you become a little more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you get a career, then you start maybe focusing it's on insightful other things in your life, maybe a relationship, maybe, you know, whatever else it is. Uh, and a lot of times that's when you realize, Hey, remember when I really liked sports? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing's changed except the fact that I really loved music a lot for a long time. Not that I don't love music anymore, but now like it's More not, breathing room. it's not just entirely filling my head 24 seven. And I think that that's happened with, with me and Billy, to be honest. Yeah. Right. But it, there's a there's good amount a of people that uh, there's a good amount of people in bands that are just anti-jock, anti-sports, never liked well, it, never will. That was like, like people our age, you know, growing up in the nineties, there was such like a, uh, punks versus the jocks right. kind of thing yeah. in high school. And yeah. like everyone was picked on and beat up by the football team or whatever. So you rejected that. And like, even if you did like baseball or, or hockey or something as a kid, you got, you got, you know, picked on by the captain of the football team once. And you're like, I hate sports. I hate jocks. You know, the fat record sampler tells me that I, you know, need to hate the jocks mm-hmm. or whatever. And that's and that's what we that's what we grew up on, you know. Yeah, maybe that's just because the kind of guy I am, so it works that way. But I find that that if you the people the guys in bands that like sports are almost inevitably better hang, regardless of sports. People, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like those are like dude dudes. Oh yeah, music. I do oh, music. Yeah. Like you know, the best people to chill with are guys in bands that like sports. Guys, you know. I gotta say, the guys that we've like bonded with as friends in the last five years or something has always been like, okay, we're starting this tour. I don't know these bands. Like Kids. what's going on? And then it's like all of a sudden, then you know, we did a we did this tour five years ago or something with uh, a day to remember mm-hmm. and. We knew them really well. We toured with them before, but we, it was the first time we toured with August Burns Red. Yeah. And we had heard about these guys, and we look at them, and we're like, oh, these guys look like they're in an Abercrombie and Fitch ad or something. Like, who are these guys? <laughs> these aren't our guys, right? And, and, uh, and it's, at first, it's kind of like, oh, it's metal band. Like, we don't know about them. And then, like, three days into the tour, they're sitting on the bus watching baseball They're with so us. baseball. It's, like, it's insane. Best yeah. guys, yeah. you know? And yeah. now... Five years later, we say these are our, these are some of our best friends yeah, from totally. touring ever. You know, like yeah, absolutely. They're they're a good example of that. So we could catch up. I could talk to you guys a, a lot about just personal stuff, but since we do break it down, I owe it to people to do a little bit of technical stuff here. So I uh, 
ask Shane if he had any old demos or anything we could check in on and 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 just something different to give people. So I've got a few demo. I got three demos that that you guys made, and I'm gonna have Shane help me walk through what Nobody these are. Nobody has play ever heard yeah. these before. This is really neat because like this is just something you found off your computer today. Anybody that's watching this or listening to this, literally, this is no one has heard this except for me, Bill, Josh, Paul, and I guess Neil. Mm-hmm. That's it. And our producer at the time. These are so, so like we kept them close to our ch- our chest right. until now. And you're going to know why. I don't yeah. think they're that bad at all. Some demos are hilarious, though. Sometimes you get a voice memo. and it's the, the, the demos that Toby makes have been, classically, I think, the worst demos in the world. And I think I'm right. the only person that can listen to them and know what it's supposed to be. But these are actually not so bad. James There's some interesting like- stuff on them. Thing that we were talking this morning on it, we're like, I was like, man, maybe I can find that like ICQ message uh, where you sent me like an acoustic uh, riff of Bleeds No More, and was like, how about this? This is heavy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's do. We it. didn't find that. So. Okay, so let's do Hear Me Out. Let's. Hear, so when, this was a demo for Hear Me Out. So um, this will give people some insight into how you write songs and, and what happens. Um, sometimes it's interesting because wow, that was really thought out and it stayed the same, and then some stuff changes. So I'll play it, but. Let's just talk over it. Sometimes Skype make, makes that a little bit funny when you try and talk over music. Let me know if the volume needs to be adjusted. But uh, walk us through this. Tell me, you point out the stuff that, that you hear that's different. And this is Hear Me Out. It's from uh, it's from When Broken is Easily Fixed, right? That's right, yeah. First right. record. Is this the original or demo? I can't hear it that well. This oh, is the demo. Go. I'll turn it up for you. Oh, the demo's hilarious. Oh no, this is the, I think this is the, uh, oh no, oh, this, this is the demo, demo yeah. yeah. So, this was made at a time when um, I wasn't using a computer at all. So it's all made with a drum machine and a, you're like. Now the funniest. Oh, hold on, it's squelching out. Let me turn it down a little bit. We have that problem. Hold on one second, Shane. I've got to duck it down. Can you talk now? Yeah, yeah. So the words in the song, they're they're actually not words. I'm actually saying nothing. <laughs> I'm just making it up as I going along and making sounds. And the reason the whole song, the song is called Hear Me Out, right? Uh-huh. So we were sitting in our band practice room and I thought the song had something special. Everybody else hated it. So I kept saying, hear me out. Hear me out. Anyways, yeah, so trying to listen and talk. But uh, anyways, the, the song is called Hear Me Out for that reason. Well, there we go. All right, it's not go. working super good to talk over, so let me play a little bit here. Let's just listen to it just for a couple minutes here. So this was made in 2002, probably, this demo. Yeah. It's really not bad, though. It's a pretty good demo. Is that a real recording of just in the room, or what is it? Well, no. It's all, it's all fake, man. Like, uh, uh, Basically, I recorded it on this Boss 
four track machine that used mm-hmm. zip disks. I don't know if oh, anyone yeah. remembers yeah. a zip disk. I do. I used to do that. Too. So that's what you recorded on. I plugged the guitar straight into it. It had like a, a pod like effect in it. I used the guitars. The drums are a rolling drum machine that I literally programmed with my fingers. And this one's particularly funny because the song, we I remember we worked on it at practice and I kept saying like, hear me out, this is good, hear me out, this is good. So I put all the instruments together, I learned it all, I recorded it all, and basically that night, I laid down the vocals. And I knew how I wanted to sing it like the melody wise, but I didn't have any words. So I just, I knew I was going to use hear me out for the chorus because it was funny. Mm-hmm. I, but think I, I, I think I said, I said it to you. I was like, just call the song that man. Like, like we, maybe you did. I like called it the, that made that the working title. Cause you just kept saying it. And I was like, okay, we're calling the song. Hear me out. Cause you really want us to hear you out on this. Like, but it's, it's so hilarious that literally I'm not seeing anything except when I was actually singing it, you know, into the machine, in my basement at, you know, one o'clock in the morning, you know, hoping my parents didn't wake up. Like I was just singing whatever words came into my head. But what's funny about that is a lot of the words ended up sticking. Mm-hmm. Like there's a that part happens, where I yeah. said, where I say like, did, did you mean all those things I said, or you said whatever? Like, I just said that in that part and that stuck. That's still the lyrics now. So it's like, it's, it doesn't make any sense why that happens, but it just tends to happen with... It does with tend to happen, right. yeah. You get you get kind of uh, stuck on stuff when it comes out. Like, sometimes you make get a demo like or do a mistake part, yeah. or something, and you wind up, well, you think it's great, because it, it's something in your brain where it files it away as part of what it was. It's a really interesting thing, but that's not a bad demo. It's really good, and maybe here's the reason why. When you said that, that you programmed those drums in... Drums in 2002, there was no programmed, sampled drums, ed, ultra edited. That was when that stuff wasn't, you know, as common. Drum replacement and super yeah. perfect sounding sure. stuff was less a thing there. So when you'd hear programmed drums, it sounded super fake. But now drums are almost half of them programmed and so perfect sounding anyway. When you when somebody does program drums. It's, that's what recordings sound like a lot now. So that Funny, demo yeah. actually probably sounds better now. It probably stood it, out it, as that, fake more then than it, it would now. <laughs> <laughs> I never yeah. thought about that, but yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> and then everybody knows that song. I love that song live. It's got some really good moments in it. I remember doing the first tour with you on that song. Um, let's do uh, My Heroine. I've got, this is the demo for that. I'm, I'm going to, we'll just have to play it. It doesn't, unfortunately, this Skype it and let us do it. So let's it. talk about it and then we'll play part of it. Yeah, before you play it, um, so this is this. I made this on the same machine, mm-hmm. uh, which was yeah that the boss recorded with the zip disks, and I wrote I wrote this song myself, and I actually wrote it. The reason that I made it on the boss, like the same as the album before, was because I'd actually been trying to write this song for so long. Like I'd had the intro riff for years, and I never could put the song together. So finally, I did, and I really poured my heart out into this demo, and it's it's. You, there's some lyrics that are different that people will hear, but um, I made the demo. I sent it to everybody, thinking everyone's going to be like, "Shane, you are this. You are the new. You are like Lennon and McCartney combined <laughs> on this one. Like this nailed is it. Be the best song anyone ever heard. And not only did I not hear back in my email for like three days, like they let like they, I like they left me chilling. Then when finally they got back to me, didn't like the song. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. All right, well, let's send it to the producer. 
producer wanted to cut it from the record. This is this is the song that turned out to be our biggest song ever, and and nobody liked it. How except do you for, measure it as your biggest song ever? Uh, Spotify, Spotify plays or what? Just sure. I mean, yeah, like all that stuff. Yeah. Overall. But it's you know, um, it's the song. I'd say it's the song that if we don't play live, yeah. the most amount of people will be pissed off. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. a good way to. I'll put measure it. it in that way. Yeah. But but it's funny because the song, and I don't know if it's because of the song or if it's just because the demo is so terrible. Bill, but what do you have to say for yourself there? Why why are you I, such an inept judge of talent? I mean, I think that with this song, like Shane said, it was like something that we didn't really work on that Shane just kind of brought to everyone. And we were like, that's lame. Like, <laughs> like, really? like that, you know, like, uh, like we just, we just didn't think it was cool. And, uh, and also, I mean, maybe the demo tells a bit is that it, it just kind of sounds a little bit like wussy, you know? Wussy, okay. And yeah, that's fair. And I think that's what everybody thought about it at the time. All right, well, and, let's jam it then. Yeah, let's, let's, let's get into it. No one's ever heard this before. Here we go. Yeah, it's a little emo. It's a little wussy. Cut it. I think that's good programming, though. <laughs> you program it not on a computer interface, but actually playing it in with your fingers. Okay, I'm going to go to the other version now. Is there anything else really good in the rest of this one? You want me to roll it? You want to keep hearing it? You're into it now. (laughs) (laughs) That's really cool. Okay, I think that's. I don't think that's bad at all. I think it's a great demo, especially thinking about 2003 or four, whenever that was. Yeah, I mean that's that's like not made with a computer, which like for any musicians out there, like it's hard to imagine, right? Mm -hmm. You know, not having any any technology like there's no there was nothing visual right Right. like there wasn't like you know you see now it's like people are more looking at waveforms than listening yeah or or that was like literally there was nothing to look at it was you're just making it and that's it you know all right let's hear the the if if there's anybody or at least my listeners that aren't familiar with it let's hear how it turned out it's not crazy different Kept the same drum pattern that you had right from the original sequence there. 
Bass sounds a lot better. Much better scream than the basement one to not wake your parents. All right. Well, thank you for sh- premiering and sharing that with us. The uh, you know the premiere of that demo. But again, I'm I'm going to give you credit on good demoing. I think those are great. Well, thank you. I didn't get a lot of credit in uh, 2004. That's for sure. <laughs> I'm sure your fans are glad you stuck it out and and got it on there. What did you have to do to get everybody to? I mean, how did you? What did you have to do to get I, I push cried. it through? Full on cried. Yeah, shame <laughs> my heart that one. Pulled the, I pulled the lead singer yep. singer card on that one. I I don't know. I just I was shocked that nobody believed in the song, and I believed in it. And yeah, uh, now I look like a fucking genius. So yeah, I've go. seen that happen a lot of times. Sometimes Toby will do the same things. Like, no, this is going to be good. I'll make fun of it. No, this is dumb. And he said, no, trust me. But then when when you challenge somebody like that, sometimes like some of the best stuff is stuff that I thought wasn't good when it was half finished, and I almost feel like casting some negativity on it or disbelief or doubt makes the other person go no and then they feel, they For buy sure, into yeah, it right. and they have to work extra hard to make sure it really delivers and they you know take the responsibility on when you to push through to figure it out um all right, let's do one more of those this one is the working title called hot water so <laughs> why is that i'll uh i'll chime in here so one of our one of our favorite bands and biggest influences the band hot water music mm-hmm. And uh, this song, I mean, while it's got like a bit of a busy riff, I think the rhythm of it really like reminded us of a Hot Water Music song. And like for Paul and I, like rhythmically, we really felt, and I still feel like when we play this song, like uh, George, the drummer of Hot Water Music, is such a rhythmical drummer. Like he's, he's got such a pocket and that like that's the way that Paul plays on this song and that's the way we fit in. And like, for some reason we just kind of felt like that, like, like just seemed like a hot water music thing, you know? Well, I wonder if anybody recognized, we hadn't said the name of the song yet. I wonder if anybody recognized from your singing of the the riff there, but you didn't, we didn't say what the song is yet. Sing it again. Sing that riff again. Just like, (laughs) and for Silverstein fans, that song ultimately became already dead. Yes. And this is from Discovering the Waterfront, right? Let me tell you a quick antidote from my, my perspective, because mm-hmm. when people hear it, they'll understand. So uh, the riff is kind of busy. The rhythm is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. And vocally, I didn't know what the hell to do over the song. And so what I did is, I, I, I mean, I tried. I kind of tried. And then I just pretended I had something. And I re- literally walked into the vocal booth to, to, with the demo in the demo studio we were in. And I didn't have the heart to tell the guys I didn't come up with anything, so I just made it up as I went along. Another improv vocal <laughs> tape. Totally improv in this. They're completely different. Some of them did stick, but uh, the melody is pretty much right on, and I made it up as I went along. And here, and this is it. All right, check it out. Find me here 
I'll let this one roll a good amount of the way through. Pretty good. Again, I think it's a good demo, and if you're improving those vocals, then I think you did a good job with it. Yeah, like I, I won't. I wasn't like one pass. I'd say I did yeah. like three passes of it, and then we kind of like you know comped it and moved it around. But I remember the you know in the middle of the chorus when I go when you when you when you, I literally just didn't know what to do, and I like That's it was like you know, the, the third the song, repetition. Yeah. I knew I had to do a variation, and I was like, I'm just gonna do something crazy. And that ended up being the hook of the song. And, uh, you know, and without that hook, I don't think the song's like, I think that's what makes the song. Yeah, totally. I'll just give for context, I'll give the uh, the finished version too here and we'll, we'll move on.
Yep, there it is. Good stuff on the harmony, too. The harmony sure does add to the thing. Sure, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's interesting, interesting but, but I, again, I think you guys... I got an echo coming now. Where's that coming from? Sorry. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't work that great to uh, do two-way on Skype. Skype does this thing where it thinks one person's talking to the other, so it squelches you, so we're not able to talk over the songs like I would like to do. But that's all right. Technology will move on. We'll be able to do it. Um, I'd love to hear... What? Go ahead. Something I like we were talking about calling that song like hot water, which uh-huh. I think is like really important with like Silverstein and what our like our process is with writing songs is that like we'll come up with an idea and we'll be like, wow, like that really sounds to me like this one band that we all love. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then we'll put it through all of us and everyone adds their little bit. And in the end, if you showed it to someone and said like, hey, we think this song sounds like hot water music like fans of hot water music are going to be like are you kidding yeah, me no like way. that doesn't yeah. <laughs> but i hear you know i hear that song and i hear the like dun 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 and then the way the the like boom 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 like the kind of chorusy part like opens up is like such a hot water music part to us yeah and that's where the influence comes from and like we hear it as that but like Nobody else no. hears it as that. Well, the funnier like, thing that happens is when people are like, it's like almost this arrogant thing where you're playing some idea and then one guy in the band's like, well, we can't do that. It sounds exactly like so-and-so. It's like th- that you think you're ripping off this thing. And it's just like, no, it's not even at all. Like if, even if you take apart from, you're trying to copy it and then a whole yeah. band goes through it and it goes through the whole process of working it out and everybody adding right. their parts and getting produced. It just sounds like Silverstein. Yeah. It just it doesn't sound like what you thought you were trying. If you were trying to copy it, you know, unless it's yeah. something super obvious or dumb. But most of the time, I've heard people try to say, we can't do that, right? We'll get in trouble if we do. And it does, you could, nobody would ever recognize the two songs yeah. when they're done. Right. We had a song on that record, a working title called Armor, too, which was because we thought a song sounded like Armor for Sleep. Mm-hmm. And uh, that song's Call It Karma. And I don't think Call It Karma sounds like Armor for no. Sleep after we went, you know, like you said, you go through all the processes of, of yeah. a riff into a song. It, it definitely changes the vibe. Yeah, I wonder how many good songs have been thrown away because they thought, well, I don't want to copy, you know. And even too, we, I mean, we did, like I, I mentioned it before, we did that like kind of punk cover record and we're like, let's write some songs that are really like influenced by this like punk and hardcore sound. And we're like, let's write a song that sounds like Buried Alive or like American Nightmare or something. Mm-hmm. And like, we did that and we listened back to those songs and it's like, that just kind of sounds like a heavy Silverstein song now. Yeah. Like it's not, like yeah. any fan, like fans of real, you know, buried alive or real hardcore are like listening to that and like those friggin' pussies, you know, like yeah. they, they don't sound like no. it's not real, well, you know, like. And I guess there probably are bands and not good bands that they just rip people off and it sounds like them. And that's like the worst thing in the world. Like you see a local band and they're playing, yeah. they open for Silverstein and they sound like Silverstein, like, and it's like, oh gosh, this is unbelievable. Like that's the most embarrassing thing in the world. But. I guess you're privileged when you put your music through the grinder and it comes out and it sounds like you said, Shane, it sounds like Silverstein. And so having a, your own style is pretty much, you know, once you have a style, if, if you have a style and you are unique and it comes out sounding like you at the end of the day, that's the kind of a thing like maybe you've kind of, that's self-justifying in itself. You know what I mean? Like I always wondered what my guitar style would be like. I'd say, well, I like the way Billy Corgan plays. I like the way, you know, and I would learn these stuff and, uh, I, but I never assumed I would have think I thought I would have a style. I never thought about it that way. I just thought, well, I'll 
copy these people and they have a style. Jimi Hendrix sounds that way or whatever. And then if you look back after enough time with enough separation, it just sounds like what I would play, which is really awesome. And so Silverstein's a very unmistakable sound. I mean, you know, I don't think there's any bands that really sound like you guys do. I really don't. I don't think it's that mistakable. I mean, the closest band is Emory and we try to copy y'all and we can't, we don't get anywhere close. For us, it's mistakeable because we're trying to sound like other bands and we just sound like ourselves. Yeah. So we're just constantly yeah, making right. mistakes. Does that embarrass you when you when you play with a local band or band that's obviously overly heavily influenced by you? You know what I'm talking about? It doesn't happen very often. Like most most bands either are like most of them I think that try end up like way heavier. Yeah. You no, know? because we don't use a double kick pedal. Yeah. Don't we aren't really a chug chug band all the time. Mm-hmm. We are in places, but like there's there's I don't know. I don't, I can't explain it but there's something i guess about us that makes us us and it's you know i guess it's served us well i'm not going to complain you know yeah absolutely yeah so i only got a couple other things i want to talk about one is do you have any theories on why bands from canada uh, particularly the toronto area are so good on one hand but really fun and funny i mean it's just not even close to me to, to say the canadian bands are the most fun and funny at on a whole, just geographically. I don't no know. doubt about it. I don't even know if I agree with you. You don't think so? You guys, Alexis on fire, Monine. Monine yeah. I mean, they're just Our so funny. funny. Boys Night Out, they're the funny. I mean, it's just it's like comedy. I mean, you guys are the funniest gr- group. Don't you think that about those other guys? I can see. I can see what you're saying in a sense that, like, in that time, in our scene with those four bands you just mentioned, like growing up, that there was. There was always a level of that, like, um, and I think it just kind of came down to, like, the showmanship of it. Like, Kenny from Monine was, like, people would go to see that band play because he was a stand-up comedian. Like, He's so go fun. go see Monine play, and they'd play one song in 15 minutes, and Kenny would tell, like, six <laughs> jokes, and then, like, jump off of, like, the ceiling, you know? Like, yeah. and that was, that was part of what it was. And I think that what you're saying about our, about our community, about our, our scene that we came from, is that, like, like I think that all of those individual bands are good because of how much we pushed each other, you know, like Mm -hmm. we were all coming up at the same time and we were friends and we were playing shows together and we were touring, but we weren't like best friends and we, we were all competitive, you know, like everyone really tried to, to, okay, you know, this band put out this record or this EP and it's like, okay, we got to do better than that. It's like, what's gotta be better than that. It's gotta be, you know, yeah, but I mean, just think, I mean, but the humor is what really gets to me. Not only are the bands really good and all that, and from the same really small, cold area of Canada, but I mean, think yeah. about Alexis on Fire is hilarious. I mean, Steel is one of the funniest people. Remember Boys Night Out and their crew? You know Boys Night Out's crew, some of the people yeah, they've had? They're not even musicians. Oh, yeah, they're like just and, Pino and, and Dave Arnold and those, oh, Wally. Gosh. I mean, those are the funniest people I've ever been around. Yeah, I went to high school with Dave Arnold. I mean, Clay, Clay <laughs> Kelly from, you know, Maharaj, who's a funny guy. Like, I mean, Brandon from Counterparts is a funny guy. You know, yeah. the Seaweed yeah. guys are pretty funny. So I, Matt's right, maybe, you know? I mean, in the in, I don't, I don't know, know if it's is. something different culturally, but in the States, I don't think people in bands are almost ever funny. They're not hardly ever yeah. outgoing funny people. They're introverts, take themselves seriously, or posture but, in the but I think, I think there's maybe something there's maybe something about like the Toronto area about that, like with with art and and music and comedy all together like you think about like a saturday night live and about uh mm-hmm. you know like all the comedy that came from 
Toronto with like, you know, Mike Myers and like all, like there's so much that has come from, from that in the comedy world. Kids in the Hall is Canadian, right? Kids in the Hall, SCTV. SCTV. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, Dan Aykroyd, all this stuff is like, it's huge. Right. And I think that maybe that, that there just was always like a performance art, uh, element to it. And, you know, people were coming into, into punk bands from like their, their local like drama, you know, like their, their school drama club, you know, mm-hmm. they're like, like, can't, we've got really great, like, uh, arts support, you know, like there's really good, like funding for like, uh, oh, for arts true. within school. And I think that like, maybe every, like, I think the alternative culture in our area was, was really backed up by like a, like a student drama backing and that kind of stuff. And I think maybe that comes from it too, you know? Well, yeah, that definitely part of it is a more well-rounded arts thing, and it's something more normalized about it. Maybe I feel like people in the states comparatively take themselves too seriously. Yeah, like the, the whole persona yeah. of being in a band is too serious. And people think that Canadians are really nice. You know, everyone's like, "Oh, can't you know, Canadian Canadians are so polite and nice," and maybe that just that just snowballed into yeah. maybe we play all of our that bands. a little bit when we when we get away with it. Yep. Yeah. It's charming. If you're from the real far north or the real far south like I am, people are going to find you charming and you got to lean into it best you there can. You are, right? yeah. so, lean into it. I like yeah, that. You got to. All right. So, uh, other than that, the only thing I wanted to talk otherwise is you guys, are you guys into podcasting? I know Shane is obviously with Lead Singer Syndrome, which I've really been enjoying uh, your podcast. Your last one with Dennis from Refusers was great. I thought you did such a good job on that. And it was real cool because it was, you did it on the bus with him and even, you know, it was, you could hear the bus generator going. And I felt like I was just right there, man. Yeah, there's something to be said about doing it, doing it in person. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, this is actually great, kind of on Skype. I haven't done a podcast on on Skype where I can see somebody, mm-hmm. but I do think that makes a difference. But you know, just because being in person does. But it's funny because I think Billy is one of the first people I ever knew that listened to podcasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I used to kind of make fun of Bill. I'd be like, "What are you listening to?" And he's like, "A podcast." And I'd always ask him what's a podcast? And I'd get him to explain it, even though like I knew, cause he was so serious about all his podcasts. What were you into Bill when you first got into I podcasts? I mean, I think like, I think everyone in the band had initially just like started digging on me when I got into the, like the Mark Maron podcast. And I'd be like, Oh, it's so great. It's this like guy, he's like a comedian. Mm-hmm. And like, like he didn't really, he wasn't really successful. And then now he's just talking to his buddies yeah. and like, you know, and like people would have me explain it so many times. Uh, but yeah, I really like podcasting. I think it's a great thing for musicians on tour to like have something to listen to on the bus or on the, on the plane to pass the time. I, I listen to podcasts a lot. I got, uh, you know, a handful of my favorites. What else are you into to, now? Well, I, I like a lot of, you know, I like a lot of the music podcasts. Uh, I'm sure you guys know, you know, like the, like, um, hundred words or less and the, mm-hmm. uh, uh, going off track. I really like a lot. I like, uh, our friend Damien from Fucked Up has the uh, has the Turned Out a Punk podcast is good. Uh, I, I like I like the Marin podcast. I like um, so I like a lot of these like you know band guys talking about stuff. And I like your guys' podcasts. I've listened to both years. Sometimes you know it's hard to listen to Shane's podcast oh, yeah, every week. Totally. I, I hear him talking enough. You know, like, yeah. But I love your <laughs> <laughs> I love your uh, I love your podcast, Matt. I've, I've listened to the Bad Christian podcast a couple times. I uh, I lo- I love. You know, I we the three of us I think can all come together on uh, on Dave Bazan, uh, totally. and I right. some, some sometimes I just I just go into iTunes and I I search Dave Bazan and I listen to he's whatever. He's so good podcast. on every podcast he does. He's been he's on, so yeah. Good at it. yeah, 
He's great. Like he wants I, to do his own podcast. He he says one day, but he, I don't know if he'll ever get around to it. I think Billy should do his own podcast because he's. I mean, I don't know what you should you could talk about. Billy's Billy's got so many hobbies. You could do you could do a beer podcast. You could do yeah. a coffee podcast. You could do a podcast about records. Are there any you coffee know, podcasts? Because I was thinking about that. Beard, there's so maybe many. A yeah, beard cast. Yeah, you know, there's one podcast, and I'll give this guy a little plug because I really felt like I was going to do a podcast, and then I and then someone turned me onto this podcast, and he he doesn't he hasn't done it much in a while, but it's called Your Favorite Record, mm-hmm. and it's a guy from New York, and we've got a lot of mutual friends, and he basically just sits someone down and says like, "What's your favorite record?" and then they spend an hour talking about their favorite record. Like it's like someone will be like, "Oh, my favorite record is like you know." Uh, Jimmy Eat World's Clarity, and then it's like, well, why is Jimmy Eat World's Clarity your favorite record? And then is you it talk a prominent about, person or just somebody he knows? Typically, it sometimes is a friend, but it's typically someone mm-hmm. notable. You know, I like narrow ideas like that. We're just going to do this one thing. I love, I love yeah, that. But there's so much like because obviously, you know, someone could say I could say that like, yeah, Jimmy Eat World Clarity is my favorite record, and I have so much passion, and I can say so much about that record, and like maybe the host knows about it and maybe he doesn't and maybe it's like maybe the guest is then like selling everybody on this amazing record that nobody knows about but maybe it's like reminiscing about this record that everybody has these feelings on and that and that was an idea that i had and then someone's like oh yeah that's already a podcast well look think about that that's not a bad idea or approach to take and just like when you rip off songs, it turns out not to be ripped off. So I would encourage you, if you're interested in podcasting, here's what's at the heart of that idea that I love is, because sometimes it's hard when you're podcasting, you're talking to somebody and you're interviewing and you feel like I've got to keep it going and they're giving me canned answers or whatever. But if you could get somebody to talk about their favorite movie or something that they're trying to convince you of, they, they yeah. feel probably totally disarmed and could just, but, and then this song and then this happy, you know, they're totally outside of themselves trying to convince you of the thing. I bet that's right. what makes right. that podcast work. But that's why I like, I mean, I like the break it down podcast here in that sense where like what I love about podcasting is like the dissection of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, I mentioned, I love that like the Damien's uh, turned out a punk podcast, but they also do this podcast called footnotes where uh, after, so say like Shane was on turned out a punk and he talks to Damien for an hour about like how he got into punk. Then after that, they release another podcast mm-hmm. where like Damien and his friend, Chris O'Toole, who, you know, he used to do merch for Alexis on fire. Yeah. They sit for another hour and they talk about Shane, you know? <laughs> yeah. So they talk about like the podcast and they say like, oh, Shane said, you know, Shane said that he first got into like Metallica's black album. So like, we're going to talk for 10 minutes about Metallica's black album. And like, that's the kind of stuff I really like is the like, let's really dig in and let's say like, what, like, why is this stuff meaningful and why are like, why are people connecting to this? And where's, where's my connection with that? You know? Well, it seems real related to music to me. The whole thing's like, Oh, this is like DIY punk music 2.0. You can just start making something programming drums like this in the basement and you do it and you're you know trying not to bother your parents i mean you do podcasts and staring at your bedroom wall a lot of times and you know it's just a it's just something you can do in your basement and get it going and then participate with a scene and a community and other people and right. and it avoid you know it, it, avoiding the mega systems and gatekeepers you can do it on a local and a small level and and you know you can you can maintain that throughout so it's pretty related to to music i think i feel i feel like it's just like part two if anybody that's done come up in our scene of music seems like you'd be into podcasting too it's really 
really clear to me in that way. So I'm always interested in what other people like about it or what other shows they're listening to. Yeah. And uh, again, I'll, I'll let you guys go. I mean, I've enjoyed th- this time with you guys, but uh, for sure, you know, you, you you guys don't have a new album. You don't have that's an unfortunate thing. I'll have you guys back when you actually want to have something new. Um, and I don't know if you have anything specifically you want to plug. I know Silverstein fans or anybody can find Silverstein uh, anywhere, uh, so it's not a big deal about your plugs, or your Twitter handles. But if in case you're not paying attention, check out Silverstein. You can find their website. They're going to be in Japan and China. We're on the road, yeah. We're doing a lot of... Uh, the end of the year is busy for us. we got a lot of tours coming up, and it'd be great to see some some friends out there, yeah. Yeah, and Shane's podcast is Lead Singer Syndrome. Check it out, yeah. It's great. And, uh, yeah, so thank you guys for being on here. Thank you. We also have, I should say, we also have some, uh, some new stuff coming uh, sooner rather than later. That's all I'll say. So that's just a little tease. So, You're not going to tell us a, what it is. It, it, I'm just going to say that I was in the studio yesterday and I was recording some vocals. That's all I'm going to say. So, something might be coming. But Maybe it was just improv demos where you didn't know what you were doing? Was it just right. more of that? <laughs> just making up as I went yeah. along. It seems to work out, though. Yeah. So. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you guys very much. And thanks again for uh, doing this on your Facebook page. I hope your fans have enjoyed it. I know they will. This will be on uh, iTunes and YouTube uh, tonight and tomorrow. So search Break It Down if you're new. If you don't know who I am, I'm Matt. This is the Break It Down podcast. Find on iTunes, YouTube. Silverstein's great. I'm the best. The end. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Take care. Right. Love you, Matt. Thanks, yeah. everyone, for watching, listening. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional Book, book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading! Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.